When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, welcome to Audio Judo. Uh, this week we're doing an interview with Daniel Victor from uh, Never Ending White Lights. Uh, interesting guy to talk to. This was a fun interview to do, and the music is great. Uh, so here's the interview, and uh, we'll talk to you afterwards. Good. How's your day going so far? Not bad. It's nice here. Sun's out. Uh, a little bit chilly, but uh, it's that fall sort of transition, so I'm really enjoying it. Wow, nice day in Windsor, correct? Windsor. You got it. Southern uh-huh. Ontario, Canada. Full disclosure here. Oh, first of all, uh, Kyle Hello. is here as well. That's my co-host. How's it going, Daniel? How are you doing? Good. How about yourself? Good. Uh, full disclosure, I'm actually from the Detroit suburbs. I grew up in oh, Warren. Okay. I grew up in Warren, so you and I probably have some uh, commonalities there about places we used to. I used to hang out at uh, St. Andrews all the time, and we yeah. used to go to Windsor, hang out on a Oulette. Oh yeah, way back yeah, in the day for bars uh, downtown Oulette, um, and then like Detroit. I mean, I grew up going to all those places, like every venue, St. Andrews, the Shelter. Oh, the Shelter. We have it's the basement, um, Pontiac, Clutch Cargos, <laughs> and. Uh, Royal Oak, like a magic bag, magic stick. Yeah. Yeah. Ferndale. Yeah. And uh, yeah, magic stick downtown. That's still going, actually. It's a great spot. Magic stick still open. Yep, They closed it and they reopened it. It turned into a techno club for for a brief period of time. (laughs) And then they went back to live bands. Um, They got a really nice patio on on the rooftop. Now it's really, uh, really nice. That's cool. That's cool. I'm glad most of my family's still there. So so they would talk about it a little bit. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your day to, to join us. We're very appreciative of that. Yeah, absolutely. My yeah. pleasure. 
we're super happy when artists are able to do this for us because it's, you know, it's, it's great to talk to people directly. So you're not getting that sort of like third party. Oh, you know, in an interview we saw this or this and this and yeah, it's always a pleasure for me that, you know, anything music related to talk about music, <laughs> other people's music, my own music, just, just to share that, that vibe to me is, you know, such a big part of my life. So I enjoy it. Awesome. So we'll just start right off the bat. Um, I'm, I am a huge fan of yours. I have been for a while. And uh, I think I would be probably not doing my job accurately. Um, my, my hope is that uh, fans of yours uh, will come and listen to us and fans of ours will uh, kind of be turned on to your music as well. And I think um, I wouldn't be doing my job accurately if I didn't just kind of get this out of the way at the beginning and, and ask the question that probably everybody that is fans of yours wants to know. And we'll just cover this and then move on. So how's act four going? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I've heard that question almost a decade now, if you can believe it. Uh, it's been nearly 10 years since I've released uh, an album. Yeah. Uh, so um, I haven't done much in the way of interviews Um to, to talk about her, to tell the story. Um, but I've spent a lot of time outside of the spotlight of the music industry because I found the music industry was changing in a way that was very sort of um, depressing and uh, despairing. And it was sort of taking hope away from artists that were really in it for the creative side. Uh, what happened, I think, after my last record was a lot of the record labels I, w I was working with started to um, downsize and eventually almost even just tank altogether because, uh, you know, declining record sales and they don't know how to pay artists properly from streaming. And um, mm -hmm. so you have this paranoia that started running in the industry. And then that was sort of seeping into my team. You know, I had mm -hmm. a really great team of people that helped me release never ending white lights you know i had a team of people that helped me get it out there um so the team started dissipating and eventually they all ditched like everybody that was working with me either either dumped me or or lost their job oh, or geez. just you know went into another business mm -hmm. they became like chefs some of them became like you know marketing people for other industry they just so it was like this desert all of a sudden where, you know, it was like this barren land of, 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 of like music business partnership where there was nothing there. And I'm like, okay, okay. Can I do this on my own? You know, I have my own label. Um, you know, can I sort of outsource and pick who I want to work with? So I started to do it alone and it was just too difficult because I already make the records by myself. You know, I had right. maybe one guy, uh, that comes in engineer wise, but other than that, it's, a, it's, it's a one man operation and it's, it takes a lot out of me. So I do need, you know, a team of people behind me and, um, they all just left. So management agent label, and, you know, I had a really great, um, act four ready to go. It was actually supposed to be act three, part two. Mm -hmm. And we had a flood, a massive flood in the studio. Uh, I think in 2013 and um, all of the hard drives were underwater. Oh, Everything geez. got cooked. Um, oh, the whole studio had to be gutted. 
so we lost that record, so to speak. And I took it as a sign from the universe to, you know, just start fresh. Sure. And um, I started writing Act Four again in, you know, 2014, 2015, but I, I didn't have any team. So I, um, I took the songs I had out to some label people I knew in Toronto and just trying to see if anybody's interested and nobody was interested. And I thought, I just thought it was very strange because I had a really successful career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I'm on the radio in Canada every day still. So I thought this is strange. <laughs> so the industry didn't, they just wanted to work with uh, artists that had like uh, large social media following. Mm-hmm. Um, huge numbers, huge followers. Like they didn't care how you got them, even if you illegitimately bought them. Oh, uh, so they didn't care about the music. And I thought, well, this is strange because this is the music industry, you know? right? So I thought maybe this is a sign that I should be working with other artists and helping other artists. So I worked with this young talent from Vancouver called Bed of Stars, and I set up this artist development. Um, portion of my life where i was you know producing and and, and co-writing with this artist and nurturing him and he is a young incredible talent that's evan conrad right evan conrad yeah he just signed a lot of records uh this year she's awake by the sound him for for a couple years and you know he was very young very fresh and very very current and i thought okay this is this has to be something the labels want because he's so talented Mm -hmm. so i brought him to uh la i brought him to you know toronto and and i had him sing for everybody and we had the package together and nobody was interested at that time and i thought wow this is you know it's not me it's not him they just wanted to focus on uh bands that have already made it essentially like if you already are creating a buzz like a massive buzz Mm -hmm. then they'll latch onto you and milk it from you but they won't the industry didn't seem to want to help you build your project anymore so again i took this as another sign of this sea change in the industry where they're not really interested in like the big creative vision Mm -hmm. and i'm an old school guy in that sense when when i started i had this huge creative vision about never ending white lights you know with all these different singers and it's like a movie and it's it's a soundtrack style and every album is is conceptual and it's it's so large and dramatic you know i thought this is going to be fun mm-hmm. and you're going to have act one two three four you know all the way up to 100 and, <laughs> and nobody understood what i was trying to do and nobody had the foresight nobody had the outside the box thinking to work with me Mm-hmm. So that's essentially what happened. They worked with me when I was doing really well, which they had nothing to do with. 
nothing to do with it. It's just that is fate. We had a really big song with with uh, with City and Color called The Grace, and um, the whole country here warmed up to it. That was that's the fate of that song. You know, it's a sacred event that just it's it's meant to happen. onto it milked it's fine and then you know when my third record didn't do as well they kind of just they floated away and and i just don't believe in that type of loyalty i mean i believe in long-term relationships i believe in commitment i believe in seeing an artist's visions through because when you go back to david bowie and you go back to um, pink floyd and you go back to queen you go back to prince you go back to artists that you know they had a lot to offer and they had a long career of different phases, you know, even Springsteen, like, you know, you need to work with people who are going to allow you to be you and sort of move through the phases of your artistry. And I had nobody that was able to understand how to do that. So that's what happened. It, it, I don't want to say I was a victim to, to the industry or anything. I want to say that's just the truth. Like there was nobody there. So I could not really finish a record i could not budget a record i could not and now the, the funding to really put it all together and, and get it out so that's that's half the story and then the other half of the story is the fact that um i just felt it wasn't time for me right now because i, I was feeling that music was going through a sort of like um just a major transition you know the radio kind of changed pop music changed it didn't really seem like i made sense and I think I had to watch this sort of play out and watch a lot of the music burn, in a sense, mm -hmm. uh, from the sidelines. So uh, as an avid listener of music, I listen to everything that comes out on New Release Day every Friday. And, you know, <laughs> I make my list every year yeah. of all my best 200 tracks. And, you know, so I'm, I'm invested in what's happening. And that list just started shrinking. And every year there were there were less and less really great songs. And by 2019, this year, my list has maybe 25 songs. It used to be oh, wow. four or 500 songs. Yeah, it was huge. I remember. Yeah, it was big. You can't, it, I, you, I can't find anything that's really great. Everything's <laughs> sort of missing substance to me. It's missing, like, it's missing a richness. It's missing an authenticity. Authenticity, exactly. We, we've talked, to, Kyle and I have talked about that before, about how difficult it is to even find, like, besides the fact that there's 
so much more available than there ever was. But to find the quality of it, you have to dig so deep to find it. And even then, it's few and far between. Yeah, and and the reason is because um, like the like the world goes in phases. Okay, so we go through this together, like in every aspect of our lives. Okay, so the phase in the past ten years where I've sort of been like the, the world didn't want me to release music in a sense, like my fans did, but the, like the universe itself, the fate of of making music, it would have worked if it was supposed to happen mm-hmm. i would have written another great song i would have gotten a call i said like, let's put this out just like the greats like it happens organically so when something's not happening and you're doing your best as i was it's not meant to so i believe that just the, the world was like you have to wait until the right time when the world really needs you but they got to go through this fire first mm-hmm. hmm. and then once the fire burns out you can come in and do the repairing and you can start putting out really great music again. so if you go look at what's out you see all this in, inauthentic stuff it's not really good everyone's trying to copy each other and the worst of it is this spotify sort of wallpaper music where <laughs> you have playlists that all just they just fade into each other it's like this meandering ball of you know fluff you know like uh, a homework chill playlist or like you know <laughs> evening chill everything's like a chill playlist right <laughs> so i'm listening to some of these i can't tell the difference between 50 to 60 songs they all have the they same just, tempo same production the same they all blend vocals. together yeah yeah so we're, i don't fit into that my records don't fit into that um every song i write is different and and every song i write has a different vibe to it and a different singer to it and it's just i'm really into production all these you know wacky ideas and stuff there's there's no place for me there's no there's really no place for me right now i don't believe there's a place right now for really creatively driven artists i think you have the 2010s as a place for people who want to fit in they want to paint within the lines they want to maybe do pop that it's a flash in the pan um you know and that's just the face so that's the time for those people to step up and i and i listen to and i see it out there you just see regular stuff that doesn't sound inspiring it's not inspiring you know like the last time i heard a song that made me want to get up and just like lose my mind you know it's there was only one really this year that did that usually there's several (laughs) so um it's a shift so that's what i believe it wasn't time for me but i i'm looking at 2020 Mm -hmm. fresh decade so i think that is like this 2020 vision it's a return you know, um, so I'm putting the um, the finishing touches on the record now, which has evolved. You know, I've written at least four to five albums of material. <laughs> you know, yeah, because product. I remember 20s. I, I think I read an interview with you in 20s. I want to say 2017. And it was all but finished then. And then yeah. you had alluded to that. And, and I'm like, oh, OK, cool. And then another Several, yeah, yeah. several uh, sort of incarnations of Act Four. So I'm at this point basically have to choose the record out of like a you know, hundred songs. Choose the songs that make the most sense, and wow. that is personal. So I don't really care what the world um, is expecting me to do 
or what the radio would want. It has nothing to do with that. Where, where was I during this process and what tells the story of my process? So I've got a, about 13, 14 songs that I wrote that are very special to me. They're the ones that have sort of stood the test, uh, you know, during this decade. And um, they're in a list right, right now in front of me on the computer waiting to go into mix. And then, of course, from there, I would be looking for the artists, so the guest singers. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping 2010 becomes the great return for uh, Never Anyway Lights. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you're getting... I'm glad you're getting to that point again, because well, because that's what like to me as a as a music fan. And and I was going to say something about how it's the second part of of what we're calling it, the you know, the music business. It's the second part of that that usually is is the death of what we want to listen to. It's the business part that usually kills it. So, you know, as a music fan, that's what I want to hear the authenticity. I want to hear the songs that are important to you, because m- more often than not, those songs are going to become important to me. And, and that's what I want to listen to. That's always the best of the best that comes out, you know, because it strikes a chord with the artist, strikes a chord with the listener. But if, if artists can't really afford to make music because they can't get paid mm-hmm. properly on their music from the way the digital music industry is structured, they can't make music. They've got to go to work. They've got to survive and eat, feed their families. So uh, that's part of the trouble. And when the labels um, have the money, like the top 1% that has the money to invest, they don't want to invest in anything that's going to inspire you, right? They want to invest in what they're investing in, which is, you know, hip hop country and um, stuff that's sort of mindless. But I, and I do believe that's part of, that's the agenda, I think, for North America right now. And if you look at the billboard charts and you do a sample of the reading level, the top 10 songs read at a grade two level, um, 10 years ago was grade four. So we're, we're now in grade. Like, how am I going to release a record about spirituality, angels, you know, (laughs) existential themes. And then, you know, uh, old town road was the number one song for 17 weeks on billboard. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, if David Bowie was, was just starting out or any of these guys would just be like, what? Yeah. They wouldn't get played. No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. So I, I think the lesson here is to be able to be proud of that and be happy about it and not to get mad and angry if you're an artist that this is what's happened. Because I could just blame everybody else and, you know, mm. blame the industry and blame other people. I'm not. I'm saying the time is right for me. Uh, when the time is right for me. So it's not that the industry is at fault, but it's that they're greedy and they've just like the whole world. I mean, you have this massive control on top and then all these people suffering on the bottom. So when you have this much of a, of a, of a disconnect, you can't really get out there and be totally yourself, totally free, totally creative and, and, and supportive. It's, it's very difficult to do that. So, I think the shift's going to happen in the next 10 years. And I think um, you have such a massive craving for like rock music, real instruments, uh, stuff that sounds unique, stuff that's, you know, melancholy stuff that's inspiring. Like people are always emailing me, asking me for, you know, to recommend new bands or new things because they can't find any. Yeah. 
And neither, so they're going neither can back. you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. And they're going back and listening to old albums, you know, from when they were in high school or just some of their favorite stuff, because there's way more substance when you go back now than there is coming out today. So that's probably the reason why I'm always listening to like disintegration on the way home from work. <laughs> Cause that's what I would listen to in high school. That's what I want to hear. And it's so good. It is. You it know, is. A lot of those records are, and you know, I'm, I'm sitting here right now in this pile of vinyl and I, I buy all my favorite records over on vinyl. And sometimes I dive into to these albums and they're just, they're transcendent. They're so good. And I go to my 2019 list, my iTunes playlist. And I'm like, oh God, <laughs> like it's not even, it's so bad. And uh, I believe it. it's the sort of the great dark night of the soul for the world, like itself. I think it's just, it's that sort of dark before dawn and we're on the cusp of the next uh, revolution. And I'll be there for that <laughs> with many albums. <laughs> So uh, the first thing, I mean, just like, like you were talking about, the first thing I ever heard from you was the grace, naturally. Mm-hmm. And uh, just from the very beginning, it, that that opening is so perfect. And then when Dallas's uh, voice comes in, it just always, you know, clinched the deal. Like the very first time I'm like, I, ha- I must be listening to this band. I have to listen to this band just just from that little just from that little opening. Um, so when you're sitting down to write a song, do you have a particular artist in mind when you're already writing it or are you are you just blank slate just writing it for whoever feels right at the time um 99 of the time i write just to write with no particular artist in mind okay because um i find that the writing process for me is very spiritual uh you i have this um state i, I go into where I'm channeling, uh, I'm basically channeling the song from someplace else. So I, I believe that everything that exists, it has already existed somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's it's just sort of a, this theme that I feel is true. So you have like, we're alive in this world. We have consciousness. So we understand everything that's happening to the best of our ability. And we have ideas. And I think these ideas are already in what I'd call like the ether, for example. And they're, they're there, but you just have to tap into it. So when you invent something or when you, you come up with an idea, and I think that's why sometimes you have people inventing things at the same time uh, on the planet from different uh, places, you know, um, like two people invented the telephone at the same time or, or when Tesla was working, other people were coming up with similar things. Like, mm-hmm. do you have this sort of cosmic web and you, and you kind of channel into it? So when I write, I just get this inkling that I need to write and I sit and I put my hands on the guitar or the piano and then something happens and that's it. And it's usually cool. the grace was, uh, was took me about 20, 30 minutes uh, of that channeling process. <laughs> Some of the songs usually take about, um, an hour or two maybe where I'm in that state and I don't even really remember it. And then the next day I go back and listen. I'm like, what did I, what happened last night? It sounds like being drunk, right? You go back and like, what did I do last night? And then I press play on my computer and I'm like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> and there's string lines and there's, you know, drum parts and orchestration. And I'm like, and it's usually a complete song. Oh, that's what I was. I actually had that question down. So obviously answer my second part of my question first. You write 
the song before you're writing the lyrics. Lyrics, not. Oh, yeah. I always, I never, ever write lyrics first. I never write lyrics and then try to fit them into a song. Okay. So the melody pours out of me. So you have this channel. I channel this song. Melody comes out. And the melody is basically like an undeciphered message where there's key words. Call them like anchor words. So with the grace, it was certain words like, you know, like I kind of heard, you know, not coming back for me. Like there was something in there about put me where I belong. It just mm-hmm. kind of came out. So I, I get those down after I write just a basic melody, you know, and then I kind of stare at these words and I build the story from them from what I believe is trying to come out. So and, and then I connect that to a greater story, which is what the album was about. So I was trying to write every song about the same theme mm-hmm. on the first album, Act One, which was about like, you know, questioning being alive and why we're here and if it's okay to not want to be here and what our purpose is. So the grace reflected that. Um, and yeah, I built, I built it outward, like lyrically. And then it sort of just falls into place. From that point, um, it's like, okay, who are you gonna, uh, who's going to sing the song? Uh, so I think... 99% of the time I'm writing for myself and then I listen to who would sing it and then I reach out to them. But the grace was the one example where I had already written a song that I'd given him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a demo called this is my fate, which came out on vinyl a few years back. I think it's on Spotify too. It was the B side <laughs> to the grace. Um, we did that song together and then I thought, after hearing him perform, he's got a lot of potential for another one of my songs. And then I wrote The Grace, and I kind of had him in mind for that. And it was the last song we put on the record, I think, maybe <laughs> six weeks before the release. Oh, wow. Last minute. And then it was the first single, and the rest is history. Uh, and his voice is, is so perfect. I mean, I had listened to him when he was on with uh, Alex's On Fire and stuff, and this totally was different than that, though. It totally Very did. much. They were doing the screamo thing. Yeah, just heard heard uh, heard him for like a, a a completely different way. But then, okay, so do you, do you have like all the orchestration already in your head when you're writing it, or is it just are you just hearing like the basic melody and then everything comes while you're sitting in the in the studio, or is it everything? Is it like a whole picture, like right away? Yeah, it's everything at once, and uh, it you know my brain is really. <laughs> it's very saturated all the time and I, I find it very difficult uh just to kind of just to be normal and do normal things <laughs> so when i when i'm channeling these songs the whole orchestration is there like it's just it's all already there so the string lines the string as soon as i the first thing i usually plunk out on the piano is the string line or is the counter melody or the guitar part or like even that guitar riff because mm-hmm. it starts with that rip, right? That was the first thing that came out of my hands. It was just, it was ready to go. So I didn't have to come up with like 50 different, you know, guitar parts and choose one and then like edit it together. It was just, it all comes out in one sort of like large orchestrated piece. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then being able to play all the instruments is really beneficial to that because I understand, you know, if there's going to be timpani or percussion or what kind of, groove the drummer should play what kind of tone the bass player should have i understand all the instruments that way so it's easy for me to go and just 
demo. So usually my demos sound almost identical to the album stuff. That's good. Yeah. yeah. It just takes a, takes a lot out of the mind, though, because, you know, I don't really have any help because I'm all alone when I do it. So. <laughs> but, you know, sorry. Well, if you, like, I had read, well, you said you have 100 songs, basically, to choose from for Act 4, and I know, I'd read somewhere you had 70 written for Act 3. Like, what? and then do you, if you scrapped those, say that you scrapped those 70 songs from act three, do you reuse any of those bits within like the next set of songs? Are you reusing stuff that, that you had abandoned at some point for other songs? Not usually. Okay. They usually get behind because you, like I just, I move on and then there's new ideas. So if I go back to something I wrote for act three, I'm not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I just don't feel connected to the person I was mm. at that time. So the song might not reflect what I'm listening to now. Maybe I'm getting into more, like, electronic stuff or shoegaze stuff or whatever. So I don't... I usually kind of just leave them in the past and put them on a hard drive. And I put that in an old drawer in a plastic bag. And then, you know, <laughs> uh, down the road, if I ever stop coming up with ideas... I think a great exercise would be to go and dig it up and see, oh, you know what? This was a really great guitar part or whatever. But right now, they they all usually get left in the past except for the ones that stick to your guts. Like there's a few songs along the way that just, they're so special, you you take them with you. Mm -hmm. So since you can only fit a certain amount of songs on an album, you know, I'm keeping those for... Um, you know, future, but there's only a small handful of stuff I'm keeping from like the past uh, eight years of writing. So act like act five is half written. Wow. At this point <laughs> based on sort of the good stuff left over from act four. But if I write stuff I like better or feels more comfortable to me, then those will go on the shelf. So, okay. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. The constant editing process of that for sure. So, yeah, the trick is to just be inspired and stay in the uh, just the excited creative zone. So sometimes going back too far, is, sometimes it actually it's exciting, but most of the time it's kind of like, oh, OK, well, you know what? I'm kind of into new things now. So I like to keep moving forward. The only problem is, is that I cannot put out records enough to keep up with my writing. So if I was if I had the team in place and the budget in place and, and all those things sort of like ready to go. And my only job was to finish, you know, 10 songs. I would have had at least three albums, four albums done and out <laughs> since uh, 2011 when, yeah. when the last record comes out. And I would be caught up with where I'm at today, you know, instead of going back and having to like, you know, release all these songs and, you know, or shelve them. I would be. I would have allowed them to get hurt by the world, which is ultimately it's every artist's goal. Mm-hmm. But you know, instead now I'm ten years without a record because you know, it just wasn't time. So I have to make a sacrifice. So speaking of uh, inspiration, uh, I know we talked about this a little bit before we started. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, before we started uh, into the actual podcast, uh, the music scene in Windsor, where you're from, is it? Is it lively or do you have to travel a lot to, to find other good live music that actually inspires you? Um, well, there's, it's a small scene. 
Uh, it's it's very it's very charming. It's always <laughs> been very charming. Uh, I, I mean I mean that with love. I, I grew up uh, when I was in high school. I really loved all the local bands. In the '90s, there was a lot happening here, mm-hmm. and it was really cool. Uh, over the past, you know, 10, 15 years, I, I'm not I'm not overly uh, active in 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 my town's scene, but uh, I do really appreciate that there's some really good talent right now. It's just hard for everybody. That's the only thing. So um, my main inspiration came from Detroit and that sort of surrounding area because we would get indie bands, we'd get mainstream bands, like everybody would play Detroit. Of course. So I must have seen at least a concert, you know, every every two weeks since I was 15 and never looked back. So I have countless memories of of seeing, you know, local bands and uh, touring bands and it really shaped my life going to concerts over there. So since I know we talked a little bit earlier about uh, how the music scene right now worldwide is kind of a wasteland, mm-hmm. uh, it, where else are you drawing inspiration from? Are you getting it from other mediums? Are you getting it from, you know, collaborations? Are you getting it from past work? Well, there's there's always a drive inside my spirit, I guess you could say, where... I just sometimes wake up excited about music <laughs> and, and I feel like people probably like, like you guys, um, you just have this love for it and passion for it. So you're, you're kind of excited all the time about music and you're kind of reaching your hands out, you know, where can I grab some new music? And it's just like the old days going to record stores yes. or, you know, waiting for yeah. something to come out. Like I remember, you know, in high school, like when, the new tool album came out or the new Radiohead record came out or pumpkins or whatever. And it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you don't really get that excitement that much externally anymore. Cause I used to get excited for new release Fridays. And now it's just like my girlfriend and I, we always, we always sit and listen to everything that comes out on Friday. It's like, it's <laughs> our ritual we sit in front of these beautiful like vintage speakers and we, you know, we go through everything and it's just like, Oh my God, like <laughs> it's, just, it's bad, man. It's really bad. And, uh, and I say that with, with love, but it, it is what it is. It's just like, if there's bad movies coming out, you can't go and pretend that they're good. It just, it is what it is. You right. know, the culture shifts. Yeah. So, um, I'm finding inspiration from, um, older records uh, stuff I had not really discovered that I'm just now learning about, you know, like I'll go back and read about albums from bands that I didn't really get into at the time. I don't know if you guys have ever done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Oh, I think I missed this talk talk era, or I think I missed television or uh, suicide or whatever. So I'll go back and kind of revisit. We do. I do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. It's a fun exercise. So then, yeah, then you get hooked in that sort of that sort of thing. And so I'm finding uh, the last phase. I was kind of inspired by uh, like Tears for Fears, sort of um, songs from the big chair. And I was inspired by um, this um, sort of dream pop phase of indie music that I really liked, like uh, early M83 and um, some of the other shoegaze rock stuff, just sort of this mm-hmm. gauzy emotive so i did some of that and then i started getting into uh stuff that was a little bit more stark electronic like cold cave um nine snails revisiting their stuff 
Um, but yeah, nothing really current. So, but again, the inspiration changes, but in the last few years, I've had to go back in time for it. <laughs> and I don't think that's a, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. No, I mean, and, that, and I would prefer to listen to new music now, but, but it's not but it's good. Inspire you. Yeah. I mean, you know, Radiohead's always been a huge inspiration for me. So go back and listen to okay. Computer or even if stuff. I throw on like, yeah. Or hail to the thief or in rainbows. If I throw yeah. that on and I'm like cleaning or something, I'm like, Oh my God, listen to that snare. Listen to that baseline. Listen to that melody. And then I'm like, I need to go in the studio now and make a record that, you know, half this good. Um, but in terms of, <laughs> in terms of lyrics and in terms of story and in terms of concept, that's just inside. So that, that evolves, you know, I think any writer, poet, author, musician will tell you when they write music, uh, if they go through a heartache or a trauma, they're inspired by that to write, you know, all the best music comes from, from pain. I think most of it. So, um, when I'm going through experiences that I'm feeling I want to draw from, from, you know, in terms of the story, that's what inspires me as well. So it's kind of a combination between the two. So, okay. So besides never ending white light stuff, uh, you also released that, uh, black ribbons record mm -hmm. in 2012. What yeah. are, was that songwriting process different than how you write for never ending white lights? Very much. I, I, what I wanted to do was just try doing something very fun. So I, I believe it was two weeks. That's it. Oh, wow. Where most of my records are two years and this one's 10. <laughs> wow. So, uh, I just jumped in the studio with, uh, with an engineer and, uh, we just recorded it in two weeks. That's the thing. There's no, the vocals aren't great. The guitar sounds aren't great. It's just, it was just an exercise, really. I had about 10 songs in that sort of vein. Mm -hmm. I was listening to a lot of Starfly 59 and um, I just wanted to do something that was 80s with like, you know, big distorted guitars, dancey, but with a real bass. Yeah. That was the formula. And um, I kind of wrote it all at once. I don't even really remember now. I don't, I don't even think I could play any of those songs. It's, it, just, it just happened. It just happened in, in like a month. And then 
I thought it would be fun to print vinyl uh, and release it, but there was no promotion on it. There was no marketing on it. Nothing happened. So, and I was just sitting on a massive stack of these vinyls now. Oh, it's just boxes and boxes of, them. <laughs> and they were really expensive then. So I was like, okay, no big deal. <laughs> you know, but but some of my fans, uh, we did sell a handful, so there was you know a lot of fans that were into it. But um, it was different than Neverending Lights, so I wasn't expecting them to gravitate towards it. It's different, but it's but it's still you. It's still recognizable as you. Yeah, and that it was. Yeah, it's a face. It was a face, but uh, I, I like. I mean, I like the aesthetic of it. I would definitely go back and make another record like that but you know i i split off into another side project uh in the mean like in the last 10 years i i, I had come up with this uh, dream pop synth album that with all uh, uh keyboards no guitars whereas the black ribbons was all guitars and uh, live bass yeah so i wrote this record called dreamlands and um had about 15 great songs for it and uh I just wasn't sure if releasing, a, you know, another project under another name was a good idea mm-hmm. right now. And I thought about that a lot. And I thought, I think Never Any White Lights has to come back because our fans, they're really, um, they're really yearning for something from us. And I believe that what we've done is so specific that you can't really find it anywhere else. And, and I, and I sense that when I go back and listen to some old stuff, I'm like, I, there's really no other band that sounds like it. There isn't. And, uh, yeah. you know, you're on Spotify, I'm sure. And, um, there's that uh, button at the top. That's, uh, basically it, you know, if you like this, try this. So I click yeah. on that and then you can just go through the list. And I'm like, none of this sounds like that. Like, <laughs> None of this is remotely close to what I want to hear. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. I just typed it in. And there are, yeah. I mean, I know how they attach it. They attach like a pilot speed and, and um, that kind of stuff. Because Matthew the, Good is my top. I have Matthew Good and the Matthew Good band. Now, I'm a massive fan of his. He was one of my biggest influences of all time. And one of my favorite lyricists of all time. Matthew Good. And I've, yeah. yeah. I just, I just think he's a genius. And I've always wanted to work with him. And, you know, we, we were friends, but we never worked together. And uh, I hope one day we do, but I can see why people would connect uh, his music to mine in the sense that it's kind of, it can be a little melancholy and dour at times. But in terms of like, yeah, I just have a lot of Canadian bands on here, mm-hmm. you know, The Truth, Watchmen, Sam Roberts. Um, I think Tragically Hip are on there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. <laughs> but you, yeah, I mean, you, you're sitting in this realm of rock Canadian rock, I guess. And that's, that's the algorithm they put me in. But I was trying to do something um, more sort of ethereal and uh, dramatic and also sort of etheric, uh, something atmospheric. I was trying to do something that felt almost like when you first listen to Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd and you feel like you're kind of you're floating inside the album. That's, that's what I kind of wanted to do when I started at mm-hmm. one. Um, but by the time I got to act three, we got a little more rock because a, we started playing live. Hmm. So you can't put people to sleep <laughs> with, cause honestly, cause our rock fans listen to rock radio. That's where they heard the grace. Okay. 
So half of you, half of our fans, they don't want to be in that sort of floating space of, you know, feeling through their emotions. They would kind of want a little bit of a, of a rock show. So they would come to our shows and we're like, Hey, like they would fall asleep if we didn't pick up the tempo. So we had to start becoming, or I won't say, I'll just say I chose to sort of drive the shows harder. And then that led to, uh, the third album, which, which is noticeably way more rock than the first record. And, um, that was an exercise of trying to get more energy into the music. I was sort of feeling that. And of course the label too, they were sort of pushing us to become more alternative sounding. And so we could fit a radio and, uh, the irony here and the lesson kids is that <laughs> when you try to force something, it usually collapses. So, um, the people on my label side then were forcing me in a sense to become more commercial and to become more like, you know, write three minute songs, uh, you know, they would say, don't bore us, get to the chorus. Like they would actually tell me that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's terrible. Yeah. It's hilarious. Uh, they would say things like, you know, um, you need to write songs for people who shop at Walmart oh. specifically. I swear there's nothing Jeez. wrong with it. I shop at Walmart. I'm just saying like, what do you mean? What do you want? Like, what are you trying to get me to do here? So they just wanted something simple, something straight. And I can't do that. I think my music is, is you know, it's not complicated or simple. It's just me. Mm -hmm. So that's all you're going to get. But I was playing by their rules at that time. And I think because I decided to allow them to influence me, the record sold, you know, a fraction of what my old records had sold. So it was a great lesson for me to just, you know, not get lost in the, um, the opinions of others and just do your own thing. I would answer that question there because I had written down that you had a lot of success with Act One. Uh, mm -hmm. Did you feel pressure from the outside to recreate that from the label just to make another act one? Yeah. And then... uh, they specifically asked for an, another grace and it doesn't work <laughs> like that. It's not like you, you can't manufacture that. And I don't want to manufacture that. Uh, I believe act two was a really strong follow up. Uh, I think that was my best record in a sense. Um, I was pretty clear minded when I wrote it and I got a lot out of it. The only thing was I was still always working by myself and I'm still always working in a little basement. Hmm. So, you know, string orchestras and, um, you know, symphonies and percussionists and choirs, like I have to stitch them all together on a small budget kind of, you know, I, I had always wished I'd had this massive, you know, like the tea party was a great example of a band from my hometown you know, who had like hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to make their records, mm -hmm. symphony, you know, big studios. And, you know, I'm rubbing two sticks together here. Uh, <laughs> and I think that's part of the charm of defense. So, you know, I don't have any regrets about it, but, um, by act three, I was, I was pretty manipulated by everybody. And they, and they, they feared me. They, they, they instilled fear in me. They told me I was going to, my career was going to fail if I didn't produce a hit. And I just, I just hated that that guy told me that on the phone. He said, like, you're either going to go up or you're going to go down and you're just going to lose at life. And I'm like, oh, my God. Well, that's really, that's really helpful to tell somebody who's trying to create something that they're going to fail if they don't do it the way he wants them to do it. <laughs> that's what they said. They said, you're, you're, like, you're going to lose and you're gonna, no one's going to care about you. And this guy actually said to me, like, uh, nobody cares about you anymore. Nobody cares about the grace. Like nobody, like he's, but again, <laughs> here's the thing. Okay. People that t say those things to you, they're just, it's a reflection of themselves. Mm -hmm. 
nobody's going to make fun of you if they're happy with themselves. They're going to lift you up. Right. Yeah. So I can sense, I can sense now that these people were desperate about their own lives. They're desperate about their jobs. Like they weren't feeling well. And then they're like, they're picking on me when I'm trying to make a record and it, and it, it worked like it, it kind of screwed me up, but um, I'm not mad at them anymore because I realized they were just not in a good headspace and I need to learn how to not, you know, take that to heart and, and not to worry. The only problem is when there's money involved, you know, you want to make everybody money because you want people to be happy yeah. and have jobs and I want to eat too. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's like, I didn't write act one and the grace, you know, for the purpose of, of making money because it, 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 the, the album's so long and bloated and it's like, it's just, it's like 79 minutes and all the songs bleed into a show. It was more of just an exercise. Like put it on your headphones when you go to bed and just come into this world and, and live in it a bit. And it just did so well. And it, and it, it brought me such success and I was doing so well from it because it was authentic and real and the more that you get this outside pressure you lose fragments of yourself in that process if you pay attention and then your art suffers and i think we've all seen that in, in bands that we've grown up grown up listening to and you wonder what happened to the quality of their music why well, it's not the same anymore right once success comes in then you're worried about losing it and that gets into the music for sure for sure that's a that's a pretty good positive note there to to wrap everything up i think so uh, i yeah. guess one final question for you daniel where's the best place for people to get a hold of your music is it through uh the website which is uh i am never com, or is it uh through Bandcamp, or should they buy the albums wherever they can or the the albums are only available for purchase i, I think on Bandcamp right now okay cool so if, if you go to um neverendingwhitelights.com or iamneverending.com you can you can buy the records and those sales go directly to the artist and that allows me to to live and eat and do my thing so it's really important especially now uh but we have we've been away so long that we're revamping everything so we're going to be re-uploading the whole catalog on spotify because it's actually not available in some yeah reason. just to act three Act one's not even available in Canada, so it's kind of funny. That's that's what the label did. That's how <laughs> much they care. <laughs> so I have to go and like re-upload everything and redo it all myself. So um, I, as soon as I get in the headspace to do that, um, I'm going to have everything back on Spotify, back on online digitally, and then we're going to probably put out a new song. Just one of these songs as a work in progress next year, as an announcement that we are returning to uh the world love it and, um, yeah so in the in the meantime just our website um you know is the best best place or to get a hold of me on on facebook and i can send links to anybody who's interested fantastic all right one more thing before we go i just want to close with this so uh top five let's say uh you're gonna get uh, dropped off on a deserted island uh top five records that you're taking with you okay <laughs> i know i put you on the spot yeah, no, I. It's just so hard to choose. <laughs> it's so hard to choose. Um, probably uh, two Radiohead records, OK Computer and In Rainbows. Those are two of my favorite of all time. Yeah. Um, Octoon Baby by U two. Um, 
I'd have to take a Matthew Goodman record. I probably would take, oh man, uh, I would probably take Audio of Being, which is an incredible record. Three, four, and um, oh man, for the last one. Something that changed my life profoundly. Um, I'll probably say Siamese Dream by Smashing Pumpkins. That's an excellent record. That was a really important record for me in a lot of ways. That's great. We're making notes right now. <laughs> but I mean, you know, that being said, you know, was, I think it would be hard for me to come up with 200 albums. I know it would change. Yeah. I, I would say in the next five minutes, it would probably change 10 more times. And that's that's yeah. the beauty of the exercise. We did, actually, Kyle and I did this at work the other day, and I, and he's like, I don't think that I could come up with that. And I'm like, No, I've, you have to. That's the whole point. That's I failed horribly. <laughs> I was like, I can't do that. Hard. It really is too hard because there's just too much out there and uh, <laughs> so much good stuff. But we want to bring that back. That's the goal, right? Definitely, definitely. Oh. And Daniel, I'm so grateful that you that you took time out to to chat with us today. We are so appreciative of of it, and uh, we are really looking forward to. Uh, Act four when it does come out. Well, thank you, Matthew and Kyle. I uh, really appreciate um, you guys being a part of this and helping me get the word out and um, just having such an interest and passion for music. And uh, it's it's my true pleasure to, to be a part of what you guys are doing. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. It's our pleasure. And you guys, uh, you have a great day. Thanks. You too, guys. Yeah, take care. Right. Thanks. Okay, sure. Bye for now. was daniel victor never ending white lights he is the entire band and also black ribbons um that was a eye-opening interview yes it was lots of great information in there some exciting information for fans of his and hopefully fans to be of his uh a lot of interesting things to say about the current state of the music industry or lack thereof um lots of stuff to think about yeah kind of kind of the same thing we've heard in other interviews though too yes uh so that that makes me kind of sad because it's uh there's a lot of talented artists out there that feel that same way about the music industry right and they're not able to be heard because they have to do so much in order to be heard yeah at this point and it's uh, very unfortunate that that his stuff doesn't get listened to as much uh as it should uh, i had read uh, in a couple places uh him referred to uh, as the criminally unknown band, Never Ending White Lights, which I think is an excellent way to describe it. I believe 
they should be listened to by by many people. And it, you know, I, there's plenty of people that don't like the '80s sound, that lush, uh, well-recorded sound, um, and that's fine. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. But I know there are plenty of people out here that still like to go and watch a band like uh, Spasmatics or someone play '80s covers. Yeah. Well, well, here's a band that's making new music in that same vein that you could be listening to and you're not. Yeah. And I think that's what, that's what we're here to do. We're here to get the message out. We're here to let you know there's stuff, good stuff out there to be listening to. Um, and what were the websites and social media again for Daniel? If yeah, you have so if, that? if you're interested in getting a hold of the album, uh, you can get it on Bandcamp or straight through their website, which is uh, neverendingwhitelights.com or iamneverending.com. It's the same website, just two different addresses. Uh, if you want to get in touch with him, uh, with him, uh, facebook.com forward slash neverendingwhitelights is their Facebook page. They're on Instagram at uh, neverendingwhitelights. And on Twitter at I am never ending. Uh, please go support him. Uh, he is a fantastic musician. Um, and Bandcamp is something that we haven't really talked about on the on the podcast before, but it is an awesome website because um, basically a hundred percent of the proceeds go to the artist. So there's not anybody in the middle taking uh, anything. I think Bandcamp does. Uh, have a flat fee that they charge artists like per track, but it's never a percentage. It's never, you know, they, they're very fair to artists and it's a great way to support uh, artists uh, because the money actually goes back to them. Also, you know, again, uh, I know we say this with everybody merchandise, uh, those sales, a lot more of that money goes back to support artists. So if you really like an artist, uh, go buy some of their merch. And once you're done there, come back to us. AudioJudo.com. We can uh, get emails at info at AudioJudo.com and social media. Facebook.com forward slash AudioJudo at AudioJudo on Twitter and Instagram. Um, And please uh, let us know what you think. Uh, And if, you know, if you are an artist out there who uh, is, what was it? Criminally. Criminally unknown. Criminally unknown. Uh, if you feel that you're a uh, criminally unknown artist, please email us info at audiojudo.com and uh, let us know so we can listen to you. And then maybe you won't be quite as unknown. All 100 of our listeners might get to know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, yeah, we will talk to you shortly. Shortly indeed. Bye, everybody. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.